You're about to enjoy this replay of the Sons of UCF Live brought to you by Dariga, matching your company with the right talent. Today, I want to talk more about Dariga, a company that's revolutionizing the way businesses tackle one of their most critical challenges, finding the right talent. Dariga stands out for the groundbreaking approach to recruitment, which is really more like matchmaking. They also have deep-rooted ties to UCF. Ray Bazzi, their founder, is a UCF alum who actually started the company based on a class project during his MBA program. Also, their commitment to UCF runs deep. 95% of their employees are UCF graduates. Many companies turn to Dariga, and you should too. To find out more, go to nightrecruiting.com. That's night with a K to learn more about Dariga. Dariga, matching your company with the right talent. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Trace Trelco, joined by Adam Eaton. Welcome in to Sons of UCF Live. Adam, what was I just saying to you before we came on? Things were kind of humdrum, a little slow, and then a lot of things happening across this Thursday afternoon. First, how are you? I am well, Trace. Yeah, before 2 p.m., I thought this was going to be Sons Happy Hour. <laughs> we're just going to make some stuff up, have some laughs, some giggles, and then obviously a bunch of news broke that we're going to get into, but uh, never a dull moment here around the kingdom. Now, before we get into that news, a big congratulations to you and UCF Mike. 250 episodes you're celebrating this week. Where does time go? It just flew by like that. Where does time go? If you listen to the show, Mike has no idea where time went either because he has no clue who we've ever interviewed. So you haven't listened <laughs> I to love the show. We talked to that guy. No, no, we didn't. No, I talked to that guy at the den. I can swear I talked to that guy. Yeah, at the den. yeah so Mike, always paying attention. But uh, anyone who supported us for 250, I don't know what you people are thinking, but we appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, well, amongst the changes this afternoon, these are future guys, future guests for the uh, Suns pod in, in the years ahead. Coaching changes. Hey, welcome back, Tim Harris, new offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach. Hey, you say, don't we already have an offensive coordinator? Darren Hinshaw, a co-offensive coordinator. He'll be working with the quarterbacks. Our friend Michael asking last second question. The, the changes here, what, what do you think? Good hire in bringing back Coach Harris, who's been with Miami these uh, last uh, couple seasons. Yeah, it kind of fits a Gus profile, right? I mean, of all the hires, uh, Gus has gotten out. I think this is three guys, Trace, who have left and come back. If you count Cam Martin, uh, Darren Hinshaw, and now Tim Harris. Obviously, Gus continues to find guys that know his system and, and know what he does. And he's obviously got comfortability with Tim Harris. We know we know him to be a really good recruiter. Uh, I don't. I mean, he's got some receiver coach experience in his background, but probably more known as a running back coach. But he knows Gus's system. Gus knows him. He obviously had success when he was here on the offensive side. So I think this feels like Gus going and saying, hey, this this person understood us, gets us, brings him back as OC. Um, I think it's a good hire. I mean, I like Tim Harris. I have no reason not to. Uh, he was, again, a, a, a known recruiter, a known entity. So let's see if he can continue to bring some talent to UCF. But I think it's a, it's a good addition to the staff. It's funny when they announce someone's come on board. They don't really announce that someone's left. Of course, uh, Grant Hurd no longer the wide receivers coach at UCF, but nothing of that in the official press release. Perhaps more interesting, maybe we bury the lead a little bit. Brandon Helwig, uh, UCFSports.com, the rival site, mentioning in his recap of the coaching changes, oh, by the way, Brandon reports, Gus Melzahn resumed play calling after the West Virginia loss. Do we have the breaking news sounder? Who didn't know that this was <laughs> afoot? But he certainly was not very forthcoming about that during the 2023 season. 
Yeah, look, I think we all suspected at some point that Gus would never fully stay away from calling plays. And uh, and, and now Hinshaw slides into the co-offensive coordinator role, which is interesting, Trace Wade's title. Tim Harris is titled as the offensive coordinator. Hinshaw now is the co-offensive coordinator. The spin here being that they want Darren to focus on the quarterback play. He obviously did a, a, a good job with uh, with uh, JRP last season. Um, and Gus now will slide in the play calling. Trace, this reminds me of... I, I think this is kind of a, a Gus saying, I've, I've got a quarterback now in KJ Jefferson that I really like. I've got weapons around me that I really like. I'm going all in on this season. I, I recognize perhaps last year starting the Big 12 with rookie coordinators at both positions maybe was a bit of a mistake. He, he brings in Ted Roof on defense, now brings in Tim Harris, takes over offense. This is clearly Gus pushing the, pushing the chips all the way into the middle of the table. I've got the quarterback I want. I can do this. This is probably not going to play well on an Orlando-centric podcast, Trace, but this gives me 20, uh, 2006 Miami Heat vibes where Stan Van Gundy was the coach of that team. Like 15 games in, he all of a sudden leaves for family reasons. Pat Riley takes over and the Heat win the title. I think Gus sees this is a team. This is an opportunity. He's got the, the pieces he wanted. He's got KJ Jefferson, a quarterback. He's probably coveted for a while in a skill set and says, this is an opportunity to go all in. I'm I'm back, baby, and I'm calling plays. I think this is a lot of that. Um, Gus looking at the season and saying, hey, this is our opportunity. Uh, Ebell90 at Ebell90 on uh, Twitter asking, when is Gus going to have that presser to discuss transfers and Coach Roof? And uh, since uh, Ebell90 dropped that uh, news coming now of a one o'clock presser Friday, going to feature not only Coach Malzahn talking about his uh, staff changes, RJ Harvey, Kobe Hudson, Ricky Barber, a part of that mix. So perhaps we'll get some more answers, but it certainly heightens expectations, right? I mean, there was already some juice uh, with the recruiting class, the transfer class on three ranking at eighth and uh, the arrival of KJ Jefferson. Hey, we talked about billboards on this week's around the kingdom. So they're celebrating these moves. It heightens expectations. Uh, six and six, six, seven with a bowl loss ain't going to cut it in 2024. Look, I'll give Gus credit. Like he he obviously went back and looked at the season and said, okay, here's where we have opportunities to maybe improve and get better. He clearly felt like he needed more a more veteran presence on the coaching staff, right? It goes out and gets that in Ted Roof, goes out and gets that in Tim Harris. Clearly felt felt like he needed to make some changes offensively to 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 get some rhythm in place. Again, I think we all know and suspect he called a series of plays last year, when and where and how, I think is probably up for some debate, but I, I don't think he ever really took his finger off that off that pulse. So you got to give him credit. We needed linebackers. He went and got a bunch of linebackers. We needed a new quarterback. He got a quarterback. We all talked about maybe the staff wasn't ready. He went and got, he went and got more talented, more experienced guys on the staff. So I, is it going to work? To be known, but I think you you have to you have to give him a bit of an applaud for being transparent at what maybe was a miss and making a plan to try to go impact that. Again, we'll see if the results are there, but he, he isn't sitting on his hands, at least, which I think a lot of folks, including us, Trace, we said last year, like, what are we doing? Are we ready? Are we really ready for the Big 12? I think we got punched in the mouth and Gus recognized where we are and says, I'm not going to I'm not going to let that happen again. Now, you wonder how much of the 2023 season he viewed as transitional, see what worked, what didn't work. And as you mentioned, fortifying, making changes. Now, whether the changes pan out, we don't know, but you can't say that there aren't changes and that he's trying to better the team again though i think this is going to heighten expectations and six yeah. and six will not satisfy this fan base now whether this is a big 12 contending team you got to see how all the other moves shake out you subtract texas you subtract oklahoma you add those west coast teams from the pack and it's going to be interesting to see how things uh, shake out a couple other moves uh, former ucf co-defensive coordinator they like the co's 
there. Uh, and you can't decide on one guy. And you a get a coordinator. And you <laughs> get a coordinator, yes. Uh, former UCF co-defensive coordinator, secondary coach David Gibbs to Illinois as associate head coach. They like to throw out associates, too, when you need to give a guy a title. He'll also be coaching DBs. And coming next week, we'll get to chew on this on Around the Kingdom and our other shows on the Suns Network, uh, the Big 12 schedule expected to be released. So we'll have a sense of those dates uh, and uh, whether UCF's going to get any of those uh, weekday slots, Thursday slot, Friday slot. I think that opener's Thursday, but we'll see what else the, uh, the Big 12 has in store. Well, Trace, let me ask you this. We You mentioned earlier, Gus Malzahn is going to meet the media Friday, 1 p.m., what do you g- give me the the foreshadow? What's what's Gus going to say? What do you, what do you think the message and the tone of that pressure is going to be? Uh, I certainly think it's going to be uh, upbeat and uh, positive, uh, re- associating himself with guys that he, he has known and is familiar with, and uh, certainly not going to throw uh, Darren Hinshaw or Addison Williams under the bus. Uh, curious to see what sort of question he might get with regards to the play calling and how he spins it, because it was he who has said that he needed to be CEO over this program and handle things like, uh, you know, the, the portal and the acquisition and talking to the donors and those all those things that go with that role. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how he spins that. Uh, as I've said in covering Gus Malzahn, uh, he doesn't say anything more than Josh Heupel most of the time. He just says it nicer and friendlier. So I don't think we're going to learn a whole lot from Gus Malzahn. Be curious to see what Kobe and RJ and Ricky Barber say about uh, making their decision to return and seeing what was built around them. Uh, and, and deciding to come back. Well, I think the good news is, I mean, Ice Harris has familiarity with pretty much all these players, right, Trace? I mean, he was he was on this staff. He's only spent a year at Miami. So he's on the staff. He knows the players, knows the system, knows the facilities, knows the area, probably still has a relationship with coaches. So this isn't something where you kind of try a guy and see how it fits. I mean, you, you plug him right back in, you know, by all accounts, he was a well-loved and respected coach by the player. So it does feel like a bit of a win to bring to bring him back into the fold. And and it's not a complete new integration. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see how this works out. We'll see how, um, you know, these new responsibilities and, and Gus shedding the uh, CEO role after what, you know, nine short months and putting the coaching hat back on. A couple we'll of games, out. maybe a quarter, <laughs> a quarter and a half if we're lucky. But uh, to your point, it it's clear. Gus's chips are all in. He, he's putting his chips all in at the middle of the table, and he's saying this is the team that's going to compete in 2024. Um, I know we got a little bit of flack and message boards and and Twitter. The Around the Kingdom episode was boomer bust for Gus in 24, and people said, how can you fire him after this year, yada, yada. But Nobody said clear. that, by the way. Nobody said fire him. Somebody no, ran with it. that. Nobody said that. I get that, but I, I think there's a lot of uh, – I think you can't dispute the fact that Gus is saying we're we're going to compete. We're making moves to to be a contender in 2024. Yeah, definitely going to continue to raise expectations. I've been public on this show as well around the kingdom. You look at Gus Malzahn's average; it's four losses a year. Uh, to me, we we go right there. We say eight and four, and, and, and you're going to have to talk me into nine and three or higher, even with KJ Jefferson. Uh, so we're going to have a lot of time to chew on this. Uh, probably a month or so away from the start of spring camp and a lot of new faces, but Hey, this is going to be the game now, right? You're going to see all sorts of new faces and uh, changes coming, but some football news to chew on on this Thursday and for you to digest over the weekend. It's of course, basketball. Who thought that we'd be talking with such high hopes about men's basketball. UCF picks up its third win in six tries in conference play, defeating West Virginia, 72 59. Um, Led from start to finish, jumped out early. You watched the game, you felt pretty good about how the Knights looked against uh, West Virginia. 
Yeah, I'm curious. Obviously, we'll have Ben on in a few minutes. I think that was UCF's most complete game. I mean, I think in the other wins, we saw them get down early and kind of kind of fight back. And I thought that was great. This was their most complete game from start to finish. They they imposed their will. They got the shots. They played defense. They they got loose balls. Um, and sure, West Virginia made a couple of buckets. It's 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 basketball. Everyone makes a run. But every time West Virginia made a run, UCF was there to counter. Uh, and this was their best wire to wire performance, in my opinion. You saw a lot of guys play their role and played exactly, I assume, as Coach Dawkins wants. And the result is 72 uh, 59 uh, over West Virginia. So I think this was the most complete game I've seen UCF play, at least in the conference schedule. As our man Andrew Cherico reported in his story, the wrap up on Sons of UCF's YouTube channel, uh, this is back to back games for the Knights, holding an opponent in Big 12 play under 60 points. And that defense travels, uh, it has been consistent. Now, the offense, whether they can get enough, Jalen Sellers with 18. Ibrahim Diallo, who you really like, at 14 points. Shamari Allen left this game, though, uh, with injury. Coach uh, Dawkins did not know after the game. We've not gotten an update about his status. Uh, that's some offense, though, uh, and a player that you, you don't want to lose for too long, but they do have the deep bench. Let's hear from Coach Dawkins about how confidence is building in this team, three and three after six. You know, it's a long year. You know, it's a lot of games to be played but they know that they can compete, which is, which is very, very helpful because now I can say it all I want, but until you get a win or two, it's just me talking, you know, but now after you won a game or two, you realize that, you know, we can win, you know, we can compete. And that's all you want is it's a winning effort and then we'll see what happens. Well, what happens is the Knights hit the road now at Cincinnati on Saturday. Can they string together back-to-back -to -back wins? Uh, in the Big 12. Now, I text with our next guest, Ben Hazel, former UCF development coach, back and forth during the day. I have no idea, though, what he'll be wearing tonight. Bow tie, something fancier? Let's bring in Ben Hazel for a little basketball breakdown. Aha, there we go. There's Ben. All we, we, keep ben winning right the, we keep winning right before the show, so it's like, uh, I guess I, <laughs> I really do have to keep up with this trend here. And, and, and Ravens, you're all in on them as well, I see. Oh, yeah. In case you guys were wondering who I am and who I'm calling to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, Ravens. Lamar Jackson is going to get us there. Big trust. Ben, uh, want to talk about Houston a little bit, but you mentioned it. The Knights win before you come on. The bigger news, of course, is that W over West Virginia. They protect the home court. Another opponent they hold under 60 points. What did you like most about the effort and the win by the Knights against West Virginia? They found their identity. They just played defense, consistent effort for 40 minutes. Um, that's really just what I loved about the game. For From front to finish, they didn't have any feel out. They were pressing. Um, they really tried to impose their will, really been killing teams on the glass, and that's just what we've been doing pretty much every single game. I mean, even against Houston, you brought it up. I mean, we didn't. We handled our business. We just didn't make a shot. Let's go back to Houston. A tough start, and and you look at the halftime score, 14 points, and you know how poorly they shot. There's just going to be nights like that, right, where the basket does, the ball does not fall into the basket. Yeah, no, and and for us, that's not even that big of a deal considering we don't need to shoot that well. Like all we got to do for us is really a race to 70. If we can score 70 points, we pretty much almost can guarantee a win at this point um, with how we play defense and how we rebound the ball. But, you know, the good thing about being in the Big 12 is it's not really about how many losses you have. It's about really the wins. So us being three and three couldn't be in a better spot. Ben, break it down for us, Ben. Why is this defense so good? What, what, are, what are they doing that's, that's, that's really working for them? 
they're extremely physical. Um, and that's the one thing I, I will say with the maturity of Darius. And then you have Ibrahima and his size, you have the return of CJ Walker. Uh, the length that we have is, is hard to score on. Uh, and we're extremely physical from the guard position, starting with DJ. Uh, and then you have big guys like Ibrahim, your guy who just comes in crashing right. into you, uh, changing the shot. So you, you get a lot of different looks from a lot of different places. And it's just something that if you're on offense and you relax at any moment, they just will just steal the ball and, and go the other way with it. So uh, I think other teams are are starting to catch wind of uh, the Knights not being a team to play with. Um, and Orlando is getting known as a tough place to play. But I was impressed with Antoine Jones. He came off the bench, had a really good performance against West Virginia. How tough is it for a player like Antoine? Who's minutes obviously have been a little bit inconsistent, right? I mean, I, I think, you know, Johnny's going with the hot hand and the kind of the closing lineup. How impressive is it for a guy like Antoine to come off the bench and have a game like he had uh, this week against West Virginia? It shows a ton of maturity. So I've been in a similar situation even when I was in college, right, where you go through a short stint of being in the doghouse, not really getting to play, and then you're called on in pretty big moments. And it's really hard, right? Like, cause you don't really get as many reps when you're in practice. If you're in a situation like him, you're kind of in the mix. So you get a few of the end reps, but you're not the main portion of it. So your, your reps are limited. Um, but a testament to him for staying ready. One thing that I do know about him is that he's been in college a long time and he has the utmost confidence in himself and his ability. So you kind of have to marry the two with being extremely confident and also putting in the work to be ready. So when his number is called, he really was approaching it. If you can't tell with how he walks and talks like, hey, it's it's more of coaches holding the other team back from me. It's not it's not because I'm not capable. So and it showed. So I'm happy for him. He took advantage of his opportunity. And that's one thing thing about him with that, you know, kind of unwavering confidence. He doesn't really shy away. Let's go behind the box score a little bit. Knights 21 of 25 from the free throw line. Only missed four. More importantly, they got there 25 times. We've done that in almost every game in conference so far. I mean, even if you looked at the Houston game, we killed them at the free throw line. And if we shot the ball better, we would have killed them on the glass too. So it, the free throw line has been an area of improvement for us. But really, whether we win or lose is starting to look like the glaring thing will be if we shoot under 30%, the great thing about it is that's a really no number, but clearly we are capable of shooting under 30%. <laughs> it's a very low number, but clearly we can achieve that number. Uh, turnovers, each team in this one, West Virginia and UCF with 11 turnovers, but the Knights 18 to five advantage scoring off of those turnovers. UCF made the most of its, uh, you know, its advantages there. Yeah, the difference in that number is live ball turnovers versus dead ball turnovers. So and with our physicality, you got guys really looking to pass, not really being able to push through in the gaps like they're probably used to. Uh, and you're having guys like Darius who are digging in, Shamari digging in, and they're not just digging and showing, they're actually trying to steal the ball. Um, and that's something that shows with those points off turnovers. So you, you're seeing guards get the ball in a live play uh, and be able to go the other way. And that's really, you know, our best offense. So I, I would think it should be lopsided in our on in our favor with us being such a good defensive team. Um, but also that is something we do kind of rely on to to get baskets. Ben, before you hopped in with us, I said this was the best wire to wire performance that UCF's had in the conference. Am I right or am I wrong? You're a hundred percent on on point. 
Um, you, you've been looking like a guru these past few days. Uh, I, I, didn't say, wanna, I didn't want to say anything. You've been strong to Ibrahima. You've been talking about us going wire to wire, and, and I have no way of not agreeing with you. Um, those two things have been huge for us, and, and that definitely showed last game. So what does Coach Dawkins do now? Obviously, you know, three nice wins in conference, right? Coming off a big win against West Virginia. How do you, and I asked you this last week, I think, too, how do you bottle this up? And, and take this on the road this weekend to, to Cincinnati? Well, one thing I know Coach Dawkins is going to bring up last year, this is an American conference team. This isn't a team that we're, we're unfamiliar with. So our history with them goes a little bit further back. So as far as uh, kind of bringing some new energy and bottling it up, like we, we understand the blueprint, but now it's time to really ratchet it up. We're start, we're having it, the, the cool thing about this conference is we've seen such crazy games and we're not even halfway through. But teams are getting more and more familiar with each other. We know this team very, very well. Um, so I think guys will really just come bring that energy. And I think they're starting to get used to, you know, on the road, it's tough. You mentioned uh, what coaches, opposing coaches have been talking about, the physicality of this night's team. When you watch the games, what are you seeing about their conditioning and their, you know, just all out intensity on defense throughout the entire game? It's a Coach Dawkins special. I mean, one thing these guys do in the offseason is conditioning. Um, between the the workouts that Kelvin Johnson draws up uh, for their offseason workouts from their conditioning with Coach Rock, it's all tailored towards being able to perform at this level on the defensive end. Um, so I'm really happy that it's been showing through. It's something that he prepares for pretty much from, I mean, I said the fall, but really starts in the summer. Once guys hit campus, um, Coach Dawkins knows that there's a new level of of conditioning that we want our guys to be able to thrive in. And it's something that they all know is, is something you have to embrace if you want to play at the next level. So it, it's twofold in how it's able to help these guys, and it's an advantage to us. Uh, take us behind the curtain a little bit about the way the team prepares for a game. Uh, oftentimes after a game, say, for example, after West Virginia, some member of the media will say, uh, Cincinnati's coming up, and Coach Dawkins always goes, I don't know a thing yet about Cincinnati. I've only been focused on West Virginia. So the game ends, and Coach Dawkins has his media availability. Take us through what happens next. How does how does the game plan come together? What time is spent by coaching staff? Uh, to get them ready and prepared because the turn time from a Wednesday night now, a Saturday night, Cincinnati plus travel built in there. Uh, how does it go in the next 24, 48 hours? Well, basically, the scout is concerned. The assistant coaches are assigned a specific game that they're responsible for, at least the initial scout for as far as knowing all their plays, hitting on the high level details. Uh, so the assistant coaches have been watching these teams all season. Uh, the reason why Coach Dawkins doesn't know is because Coach Dawkins doesn't want to get that report before the actual game because their last player's stats from their last two to three games is also very important. So he'll wait to get that. But as soon as the game's over, I mean, Coach Dawkins will start watching film that night. Like if we lose and we're on the road, Coach Dawkins on the bus back like he's watching film of the that current game and the games that we had, the game of the scout of the team that we have coming up. So they'll break it down. They'll go through their offense, go through their defense, go through all their plays, go through their personnel, um, and then just whittle down their best way to defend it. Uh, Coach Dawkins has meetings with coaches every single morning before practice. Um, so that's when they'll meet, get together to discuss kind of more of the specific game plan and kind of decide how they want to attack things on the offensive and defensive end. At what point are the players involved then? When do they get the, the lowdown on Cincinnati? 
that practice, the next practice. So they'll get the lowdown. What we'll do is, is they'll go through that game that we just played, things we did wrong, things we did well, things we need to improve on, and then go right into the scout on the things that we want to start doing or start that we're going to use to beat the other team uh, coming up. So that'll start as soon as the next practice comes. So they'll watch film before practice, go through that, and then start implementing it in practice. Ben, you mentioned earlier that, you know, teams are starting to realize Orlando is a tough place to play. But let's be honest for a second. You were there. You were there when we played Tulane. We played Tulsa. We played ECU. The crowds were a little sparse. How impressed and how important has it been that UCF's gotten the fan support they have so far? It's huge. It's huge on so many fronts. I mean, you guys talk a lot about uh, on football, but like the recruiting aspect, um, as far as these players being excited to play, uh, people really wearing the the UCF logo with pride representing Central Florida all of those things I mean as we're coming on to the national scene uh, I think we've hit the ground running um, we really sent a message across the conference because that's the number one thing that they always hung their hat on there are no easy games every game on the road is tough West Virginia is not good but it's tough and we're fitting right in and I love that and I think we are really showing what we have to offer uh, just as a university and a city um, and I think the town is embracing it and we're putting the, the nation on notice. Time for my weekly question, Ben. Who um, Who's the MVP of the season so far and why is it Ibrahima Diallo? <laughs> <laughs> Ibrahima Diallo, what I would say is the definitely gets the nod as best newcomer right now. I mean, he's he's made it over, over Jalen Sellers. All right. I was going to say Jalen is the MVP and then I'll give him okay. most approved. But Jalen is clearly okay. the the MVP in, in my personal opinion, but he, it would be him next up. Ibrahim is coming in and been very consistent. He's that consistent piece that we've been looking for. Um, and if he really wants to make a name for himself and try to join that MVP conversation, there is no better game than this next one. So I heard you say he's second right now. So I heard, I heard that right. right now. Am I, okay. am I okay. thinking I would put him second? I like my spot. I like where I'm at right now. We got room to improve. I like this. <laughs> I like this. Ben, you think back just a couple of weeks, that loss at Kansas State, how much of a difference now has this team made uh, just adjusting to the Big 12? They know you can't take possessions off, and I think I've heard Coach Dawkins allude to that. They, they got an eye-opener in those opening moments at Kansas State, and, and they've matched that intensity. They know they can't take time off. It's a 40-minute game. They've got to be dialed in the entire time. Yeah, no, that's what – I mean, we're seeing it. We, I think – Last game uh, really was a, a culmination of all those things. Our loss to Houston, our loss to Kansas State, um, and really just what we learned and our loss to BYU. Just things that we learned from all of those things really starting to come together. What you love to see as you go into the second half of the conference. Shamari Allen uh, went down with injury, needed crutches to get off. If uh, and, and Coach Dawkins did know immediately after the game they were going to do some imaging. Um, how much of a loss would he be if they don't have him Saturday and maybe for an extended period of time? It's a huge loss. I mean, what, what he does in so many areas is something that can't be easily replicated. Um, the one luxury that we do have is at least uh, the importance of him being there will not be as magnified, I think, versus a Cincinnati as it may be for a Baylor. Um, just with that guard front and how they like to attack on that end. Uh, Cincinnati's bigs is really where where we got to be a little cautious. So I, I hopefully he's not out too long. It is something he brings an energy uh, at that position that we we really can't replace. And we try to put Darius off the ball down the stretch was an adjustment that we pointed out 
Um, so I wonder how that'll work. I do think Nils will be forced to play a little more, but I do think having Antoine come off the game that he had might be somebody that'll fill in and kind of help uh, bring the ball up and get us in different situations considering he played pretty well last game. But I'm not great at math, but I think if I'm looking at the timeline, you probably were there when Jamil Reynolds was there at some point. Yes. And I was. he, he He's now part of the, the Cincinnati team. Not a ton of guys at UCF still a part of this team that probably knew Jamil, but is there any extra motivation for a guy like DJ or CJ Walker playing against a former teammate? I wish there was more, <laughs> um, but there's not as much. I mean, me personally, like I come from there where you couldn't really transfer. So when somebody transferred, you really kind of took it disrespectfully. Like, wow, you know, this is more of your opinion of me and us versus you know, you didn't necessarily like your coach or something like that. But um, I think they're really kind of so used to it and numb to it nowadays that they're they don't bring that same fire to to a situation like that. Like I wish they did. But um, I, I know some people definitely do remember it. I know Coach Dawkins might bring it up, but and I'm sure Jamil will be pretty motivated to try to, you know, play pretty well against us the same way uh, Ethiopia was. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> uh, I hope these guys are ready because um, I know he remembers. Well, they have experience, right? Because he played at Temple and they, they played against him, obviously, in the American. But obviously, we're, you mentioned Cincinnati. Give us a scouting report. What do they do well? What are some things that uh, fans should watch out for as you think about the Cincinnati team? The number one thing that on why they're good is their bigs, right? So they bring a ton of size and they bring a ton of versatile size. So they're led by this guy, Victor Lankin. Um, he's a, what, a seven foot center. That's a pick and pop guy. Um, and then they got the other kid, Simos, um, the foreign kid, he's about six nine. He's another pick and pop forward. So if we're going to win this game, it's going to have to be how well we handle their, their onslaught of bigs. I mean, they also have the, the African kid, um, Aziz, he's coming up, who's a super athletic center. Um, then you have Jamil. So they have a ton of size. Um, they really try to just beat you up on the glass. So, I mean, again, it's a, a strength on strength for us. Uh, just hopefully we, you know, make our free throws and can make a few shots. If we, it's a, for us, it's a, if we can race to 70 and shoot a little bit above 30%, we'll win. All right. My last question, Ben, before my rotation ends here, give me a prediction this weekend, Ravens at home against the chiefs. What's the score going to be? What, what are we looking at here? Give me your prediction. We're going to look at 35-21 Ravens. Lamar Jackson wow. carries us to the championship. Okay. Against? I don't even. We It doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben. Knights try and get a uh, win on the road at Cincinnati, which would represent back-to-back -back wins. And as we say every week, it doesn't get any easier. They welcome in Baylor next wednesday i'm looking forward to seeing more of your wardrobe getting all dressed up for sons of ucf live well so can you confirm that's I'm a sorry. w over baylor tk wants to know if you have shorts on uh no 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 shorts but definitely uh not fully dressed if that's what anybody was wondering <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing I as i continue to go through this wardrobe i mean we might be dancing, so you know. I don't know if they keep making me wear these bow ties. We, uh, we might have a few more, few more shows than we expected. How many bow ties in the collection? Uh, I have a lot. I have a lot. Um, I got at least. I have well over 
probably 15 to 20 bow ties in there. All right. That's fine. That's fine. I'm all in for more wins. <laughs> We're just six games into this schedule. I want to see more of your bow ties. Ben Hazel, thanks for being with us again on Sons of UCF Live. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a good one. Thanks, Ben. What's total number of bow ties you own? Zero. Zero. Ever tied one? No, I couldn't tie a bow. I've never tried, to be fair, but I feel like it would take me uh, an amount of time. Here's what you guys don't see behind the scenes, by the way. Ben, typically, uh, he's actually left the green room now. But last week, he stayed in the green room, and I saw a full wardrobe change. He went from shirt tie to hoodie <laughs> and watched the rest of the show. Now, he didn't. He, he changed off camera, but I saw the, the entire wardrobe change off camera. So. Uh, what about you? Shorts? Uh, always shorts. I, I Yeah, very rarely do I wear pants uh, during like Zoom meetings and stuff. I always have a nice button-down shirt on, but shorts, shorts on, the, uh, on the legs. Flip-flops? Socks. No, I have carpet, so I wear socks. There we go. All right. That's behind the scenes. Thank the you. Thank you. I'm yeah. riveting for all of you out there to understand <laughs> my footwork. Those are the parts that people want to know the most, right? Uh, well, I right, saw, uh, uh, you know, yeah. Clay, I cannot pull off skinny jeans. I appreciate you asking, Clay. I'm not a skinny <laughs> jeans kind of guy. You have clearly not seen my waistline, Clay. Skinny jeans are not going not gonna to play here. That's UCF Mike if you're looking for skinny jeans. Is Clay still working on the mustache or is he a He's actually mad in the comments. He's mad at you because he was trying to grow the mustache and he feels like you might have, um, you might have usurped him. So he, he thinks maybe you're copied him even. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm also trying to grow out my hair, Clay. <laughs> <laughs> what does that look like, by the way? Oh, we'll, we'll go back and okay. find some photos uh, of that era. All right. Um, Big, tell, Big 12 heating up in men's basketball. Six games in for the Knights. It's intense every game. Let's go around the Big 12 with Jeff Allen. So, is Texas basketball coach Roddy Terry some kind of evil genius that had a long game in mind with his berating of UCF players for their horns down gesture after their upset loss? He got roasted nationally for his actions and doubled down on it in his post-game press conference. Was it really all about UCF disrespecting the Longhorns, or was it a concocted plan to light a fire for his struggling squad? Whether it was planned or just a coincidental byproduct, Texas has scored consecutive wins over top 15 teams in Baylor and Oklahoma since the Horns Down incident to get back to 500 in conference. Up next for Texas, a trip to take on number 21 BYU on Saturday. Tip time is at 2 o'clock on ESPN2. The rest of the schedule looks like this. Number four, Houston hosts Kansas State, 12 noon on ESPN. Number seven, Kansas visits number 23, Iowa State, 130 on CBS. Number 20, Texas Tech squares off at number 11, Oklahoma, 2 o'clock on ESPN+. Oklahoma State entertains West Virginia, 2 o'clock, also on ESPN+. Number 15, Baylor welcomes TCU, 4 o'clock on ESPN2. And capping off the day, UCF travels to face former AAC foe Cincinnati for the first time on the court in the Big 12. That one is at 7 o'clock on ESPN+. With your Big 12 Minute, I'm Jeff Allen. The uh, smooth tones, the dulcet tones of one Jeff Allen. He's a legend. I don't know how he does it. Yes. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about this Bearcats team with Justin Hiles, part of the Viva La Cats pod, part of the Ten Twelve Network. Justin, welcome into Suns Live. Appreciate having you, having me on, guys. 
Before we talk basketball, let's talk about that UCF beatdown of Cincinnati and football. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Got to be friendly. Got to be friendly. Uh, uh, <laughs> a little wrong. rivalry. A little, little rivalry. Let, let me ask you this. So you know, you can tell from the enthusiasm in Orlando, the way the Big 12 games have just ignited, uh, you know, the, the arena. What's the reception been like in Cincinnati to these uh, high-profile Big 12 opponents coming to town? I mean, it's been great. Honestly, like <clears throat> fifth third's been rocking every single game. Uh, the energy has really been brought back. And I think this is a thing that we've talked about a lot. But, um, you know, this isn't our first time in a, you know, conference and in a sort of atmosphere like this when you're playing these big time opponents every week. Of course, we had that with the uh, Big East. But now it's, you know, another level up and it's, you know, only gets better. The Big 12 is unmatched when it comes to basketball. Um, nobody's going to touch that. And so I think for Cincinnati, just having all of these teams come through and sort of a newness, especially after playing in so many high school gyms uh, in the American, <laughs> it's kind of nice to have that fresh take. And uh, any come to mind, Tulane? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <ECU>. <laughs> um, BYU, you, you go on the road for your first Big 12 game, you get the win. You think that led to a little false sense of security, uh, getting that win on the road like that? I mean, that's got to boost the confidence of, of the, the fan base when you get a win it, like that. It goes both ways. I think a lot of the fan base expected that that was going to be a tough game. I think when we looked at some of our winnable games uh, compared to the slate, you know, it's sort of one of those things like we're coming in with these other three teams. This feels like a winnable one, even though they're ranked high. We know it's tough. We know how Provo is. Um, but it felt like of the road games, you probably had your best shot there. Um, and so I think it definitely helped. I wouldn't say that it gave a full false sense of security. Um, but then, you know, once a few more games get under your belt, um, it's it starts to change the sort of narrative that you uh, the team has going through these first um, six games now through the Big 12. Justin, 13 and six on the year for the Bearcats. When they're playing well, what are they doing? What is what is this the best version of this team look like? Um, when they're playing well, we'll be lucky if we're still at uh, about 60% from the line. But <laughs> beyond that, um, when this team starts shooting well, when they're shooting above 30% um, from three, when their bigs are effective and we're dominating the paint, when we're leading the points in paint, that's really helpful. But I think the key one here is rebounding. Um, in the games that they've won, rebounding has been the key stat. And that's been um, you know a lot of thanks to Victor Lockin and Aziz Bendego. But having those two guys down low really changes the presence from what we've had over the past few years. When we were in the American, it was, you know, a lot of guys who could do a few things. Um, and now we have a lot of guys who can do a lot of things, but we never had that down low presence in the way that we do now. And so having those guys be able to dominate really changes the game and also opens up the three point line for us. Uh, you just got to hit those shots, which we've been struggling with a bit as of late uh, in our first few games of the Big 12. Well, you mentioned Victor Lockett. He's averaging 12, 7, one block a game. What? Give us a scouting report. What? What is UCF in for when they face him this weekend? Um, UCF's in for more than what they had with him last year. And I think that that's the biggest thing is Victor Lockett took some huge strides forward. And, you know, wh what we expected, we, we've seen him kind of grow throughout this system. But his jump from last year to this year has been massive. Um, and that's saying a lot, too, because even his jump from the year prior to the year before that was huge too. He's just grown so much so fast. And it's really, you know, he's become the key player in this entire offense and defensive scheme. It, everything revolves around him. And so I think, you know, for Vic, 
before, you know, I think he shot three or four threes last year. Now he's averaging about two a game and he's hitting some of these. And this is a thing that, you know, he can kind of add that little bit of a stretch dimension. Don't call him a stretch four. Don't call him a stretch five. He's not that, but he can shoot a three. He's able to give you that presence outside on around the arc, but down low, he's just very good, has a nice hook, is able to lay stuff in. He's got a nice feathery touch, um, which has been really, really key. And of course, rebounding wise, he's just really able to get out of get after it. And I think that's a huge advantage when you have a guy like that um, in your lineup and you got a lot of other shooters surrounding him. Two of the three Knights losses in the Big 12 have been double digit losses, but Bearcats two and four in every game. What's been the difference that's led to a couple of close losses? Uh, it depends on who you ask and it depends on who's tired of hearing the same thing. But uh, if you're going to ask me, it's coming down to free throws, man. Uh, it's it's one of those things that as much as I hate harping on it, it's true because you look at one, two, three free throws. Those are the difference in all of these games. You know, Kansas and Oklahoma, you have two possession games there with Texas and Baylor. You have a one possession game. You're you're talking it, the game is tied or it's a shot to win with 10 seconds to go. And I, I think this is the thing for us is that we've all been impressed and the Bearcats have far exceeded our expectations so far this season. Um, we did not expect, I think we may have expected and hoped to be like two and four kind of where we've been sitting, but we didn't expect to be as close as we've been. And I think unfortunately those kind of things, missing some of those free throws early, missing some of those wide open threes early start to bite you in the butt later on in the game. And, you know, when push comes to shove, you wish you had those baskets, but you can't get that back. And unfortunately, in basketball, being a game of runs, you know, sometimes you get hot and sometimes you get cold at the wrong time or the right time at the end of the game. And unfortunately for the Bearcats, a lot of those little one point, two point schemes, those little patterns that just throw a wrench in it, unfortunately, get the better of you at the end of the game. UCF projected 14 out of 14 in this league, stand three and three. Be honest now, that's got to surprise you and the uh, Cincinnati fan base Absolutely. that you're looking up at UCF in this conference through six. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's one of the biggest things that's so cool about this league. Steve and I have talked about this this week, but you know, there's so much parity, and I think a lot of these teams are a lot more ready to go than people expected. And that's just, I think the cool part is because you know, for a long time, we always tried to argue, you know, in the American, we had to do a lot of, you know, propping ourselves up, but we knew that there was enough of a, you know, threat in these conferences to churn out some good teams. Of course, Houston stands head and shoulders above the rest, but Cincinnati and UCF were some of the competitive teams. Memphis, of course, Tulane, some of these other teams were competitive towards the end. Um, but I think like a lot of these teams have just kind of hit that go button a little bit faster than people expected. And so, you know, for a team like UCF, I've been, you know, quite surprised. I was honestly happy for you guys after the Kansas win. Of course, the only disappointment for me was I was hoping that we would do that first. But <laughs> regardless, good for UCF to get that win. I know it's a huge one and you really don't get a lot of opportunities like that at home. But since it's a Big 12, there's going to be a hell of a lot more opportunities like that this season. I'm sure there's going to be a few more left. So what's your prediction for Saturday? Oh, that's a tough one. I, you know, I have to ride the Bearcats. I, I am feeling pretty confident in them too. Um, you know, after uh, we found this funny pattern and I'll, I'll just throw this out here. Um, you win one, you lose two, you win one, you lose two. Unfortunately, you guys are on the wrong end of that pattern. 
and we're due up for our next win. Also, okay. we've only beat teams with three letter abbreviations. Everybody else has you know, <laughs> kind of gotten us. So uh, hopefully the Bearcats can win. And I do feel pretty good about that. Um, you know, I think UCF has looked good, but I think that if Cincinnati, especially after coming two tight losses against, you know, two top 15 teams, they're going to be really yearning for it. And I think that this UCF win really determines the rest of your season, because while UCF, I think is definitely a palatable enemy in this kind of conference, I think it's one of those ones that you have as a must win. Those are good stats. Pull, pull, pull a Keyshawn booty and take those to take those to the betting machine. Uh, what's been what's been the biggest difference, in your opinion, between going from the American to the Big 12? What have you seen from Cincinnati's perspective from basketball? For Cincinnati, I think I think that switch really just comes down to uh, the, the I'd say the style of play, because I think everything kind of we, we we shifted to a very offense heavy scheme last year and our defense fell off the map. You know, Cincinnati, as most people will know, when it comes to basketball, when it comes to football as well, it's just a defensive school. It's gritty. You grind out these games. You play tough. But last year, it was, we're going to live and die by the three. And if the three's not working for us that night, we're going to get beat by like 15 to a team that we have no business losing to. And I think this year, there's just a lot more guys, like I said earlier, who can kind of do everything. And there's a little bit more positionless play. And I think the abilities from the top end of your starting roster through the middle to end of your bench, those guys are a bit more um, skilled. Now, reliable, I think, is a different story, and that's a different conversation. But I think the jump between there to here, um, you know, you cycle so many guys out with the transfer portal, um, both losing some guys to the transfer portal, but also gaining some. And then, of course, you know, you lose a few of your key guys like uh, David DeJulius and Landers Nolly. Um, you have those marquee guys, but now you have a lot more guys who can step up. And I think now we have a very young roster and it's just getting some of these guys used to these games and getting them ready to go. But I think they're ready for the jump. I think they've proven that. Um, and it just comes down to consistency. You can't have a guy go, you know, seven for 10 one night and then go one for nine the next. But unfortunately, that's been our biggest problem right now. I got to sneak in a quick football question, Justin. Obviously, three uh, three transfers from Cincy to UCF. Uh, threats, Pace, Montgomery. What did Cincy lose and what did UCF gain? Who who won that transaction, in your opinion? Uh, that's a very split one. <laughs> I, think, I think Cincinnati, uh, from, from what comes through the rumor mill, I think there was a lot of disagreements between these guys and the Satterfield staff on just perspective. And, you know, of course, a lot of these guys come out of that college football playoff era they come out of that high level play and you know this year i think just with the schemes that fickle had and the schemes that satterfield had i don't think they lined up clearly with pace and threats there was some you know very high tension there uh, a little bit of subtweeting same with <laughs> miles montgomery um i think the guy that we're probably going to miss the most is probably going to be pace um, you know, threats. I feel like a lot of people were starting to tailor off of him on the end of the year. Um, but of course, Miles Montgomery, I mean, the guy can run. He's such a stud. And, you know, I think UCF gets a really, you know, key piece there. But I think from what our understanding was, he wanted a starting role or he wanted a key role. And I know that UCF has some depth, especially at that position. And so I don't know if he's necessarily going to get that. That's just what we've heard. But I think UCF gets a really strong, um, you know, player and pace. Of course, the Cincinnati guy through and through there. Unfortunately, not anymore. Um, 
and then of course, you know, get some experience too with that CFP run. He was very key there. Um, and again, Montgomery, I think is a big runner. And I, I think that that's going to be huge for you guys. If you know, he gets the minutes to prove it because every time he stepped on the field, he definitely felt good for Cincinnati. Um, and for threats, I think he's kind of all over the place, but we'll see. I don't know. I'm not, so, not so sure yet. How does the Cincy fan base take a guy like Pace? Like we we have this thing at UCF, once a night, always a night, and then they leave and go someplace <laughs> else. How, how does Cincinnati fans take a guy like Pace? Is he welcome back now? What's 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 going to be the tenor for the next like three to five years for Pace? Um, I think you know the the initial reaction is especially when everybody else is jumping ship and going to, uh, you know what is perceived as your biggest rival at current point uh, in in football. I think that that's kind of the thing with Pace is. He was around the team and long enough. And I think that people aren't going to have a distaste for him. I think it's just sort of one of those things you hit the reset button, but it's like, really, man, you got to go to UCF of all places. Go, you're going to go in conference and you're going to go to like the biggest rival. That's going to sour some people. Justin Hiles, part of Viva La Cats. We appreciate you making the time for us on Sons of UCF Live tonight. Of course. Always happy to be on, should, guys. Thanks, Justin. Should be a good one Saturday. Thanks, Justin. Thank you. All right. What do you think, Adam? Going to be another tight game, isn't it? Once a Bearcat, always a Bearcat. That's what I heard. <laughs> yeah, look, I think, again, UCF going on the road. They played Cincy before. They're familiar with Cincy. But, uh, I mean, they've, they've got some length that, I mean, Diallo is obviously playing better. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, Omar Payne's playing well. CJ Walker's got some size. But uh, we haven't, I mean, BYU had a, a, a kind of a, a stretch big man who could pop out, hit threes, but was also really good with the ball. I mean, it feels a little bit like what, what Lakin can do. And we did not match up well against uh, against BYU. So, a little bit concerned there, um, based on on what Justin described about Lakin, but you know, house money games, man. Let's go, let's go win one on the road. If Yul Horton was averaging seven, put up twenty. Let's see what Jamil Reynolds does on Saturday, uh, ESPN Plus, seven o'clock. Hey, look who I caught up with at the last UCF men's basketball game. I'm, I'm challenged. Still to <laughs> did, you, did you teach him those moves too? Or was that, no, okay. that is all him. He's this year's stair kid. Remember that kid? I, <laughs> I, I asked about him and somebody said, I think he's 30 now. <laughs> That's probably true. Yes. Yeah, hopefully wildly successful in whatever he's doing. Uh, thanks to Callan uh, and his mom, who is his agent, uh, for uh, mm. allowing me a few moments with him uh, in the stands there. Uh, baseball projected 10th out of 12 Big 12 preseason rankings, say league head coaches TCU first, just ahead of Texas. As for the newbies, Houston ninth, BYU and Cincinnati tied for 12. Hey, the 10-12 network is out with its uh, softball poll. UCF fifth, Oklahoma unanimous number one. Eric Lopez, oh. one of the selectors. Uh, he should be. Uh, yes, he should be. On this thing. Can I and, uh, can I, can, did he send you his ballot? <laughs> no. I need to see the ballot, no. Elo. I need to see it. Oklahoma unanimous, though, so there that's were no... Fair. Uh, and that's fair, yes. Yeah, that is fair. That is fair. Uh, women's tennis, 23rd ranked in the newest ITA rankings, and then we'll be very quiet about this. Women's basketball falls to 0-7, 9-8 overall. They lost 66-60 at TCU. TCU um, uh, playing a volleyball player. This <laughs> is... Yeah, yeah, they they literally legit had two games canceled or postponed because they didn't have enough <laughs> players, held a walk-on tryout, and uh, got three more players, and they beat us by six. 
wish no one ill, but had they needed to forfeit and give UCF a win, <laughs> that might have been nice too. Saturday, home against Houston at two, then on the road at West Virginia at uh, seven. I mentioned Eric Lopez uh, earlier, mixed it up with him. And we never, by the way, called for Gus Malzahn's head. We just, the title of that was boom or bust. Let's get a clip from the show. Don't buy his post-game apology. Apologize on a phone call in a player because he was a bad example, a terrible example. And I'm glad that the media, the basketball media in the nation took it out on him, rightfully so. And by the way, they beat Baylor. They ran all over the place, and he was jumping up and down. Where was the class there? Act like you've been there before, coach. <laughs> First of all, mustache, no mustache is fantastic. But secondly, you guys just talk through the booms. Why don't we even hit that button? You guys just talk through them anyway. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. yeah, we did talk. We did talk through that. Um, back to the congratulations on 250 episodes. And and you tease. You, often, most often, I don't know who the guest is till the show drops. And you said, a deep cut on this one. And I, I don't even bother guessing. But uh, Coach Verdusco. <laughs> I need to so, go back and watch the interview because I just listened to the audio version yeah. of the pod. Uh, but I, I could tell early on, right? Right? And, and, yeah. and you seem befuddled by <laughs> I need to. I need to go back and watch the tape. I think he asked more questions than we did, which is awkward. Uh, and about halfway through, I texted Mike and said, am I supposed to answer these? Because he's like pausing as if to say, like, I'm not going to continue my answer until you answer. So then we felt compelled to answer the questions, but uh, he told some great stories, uh, a lot of a lot a lot of love. One of the things I love the most about this though is he he messaged me after and said, you know, based on the interview, he heard from a lot of his former quarterbacks, connected with a few. I saw Mackenzie Milton, DJ Mack, Garrett Kruzek talking on social media about how much Verdue meant to him. And I thought this clip was interesting. Uh, and we talk about kind of the 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 behind the scenes of the game. And we know Mackenzie had a tough 2016 and obviously a great 2017. Uh, but Verdue was there through the entire thing. I thought this clip was interesting to talk about uh, the dichotomy between what happened from year to year. I, I just remember KZ after that game. Hmm. And we shared a, a brief hug and I didn't get a chance to see him after that. Yeah. I, I hadn't, the first time I saw him, I think was two years down the road. Hmm. But I just, I, what happened in my brain was because you're asking me that memory was the difference between how we, he and I walked off the field together in the Cure Bowl and how we walked off together after the Peach Bowl. And he, that he understood that, man, all the hard work and how we did it, the way in which we did it made sense. And he was just overjoyed. Speaking of hair, Trace, that guy. Whew. Yeah, yeah. Clay, UCF Mike. Just, just showing it off. Just showing off. Um, I'm curious about something. We haven't talked about it. I have different instincts uh, in asking questions. Uh, he pushed back or didn't say a whole lot on the Nebraska questions. Uh, did it throw you off? or Because I think I'd have come back a little. You guys have a different style. I'm not criticizing it, but I think I'd have come back. Sounds like think dark. about that at all? Uh, so no, that was a no, Mike. no, I don't mean it critical. I just, you, uh, you know, I, I just have a different style. Yeah, that was a, that was a Mike question, and and so I, I think I, I took the next one and sort of reframed it, and we we got some conversation about Frost. I think I think Mike hit him kind of between the eyes with that one. Maybe wasn't wasn't expecting it. Where I tried a more subtle approach. I will tell you this: uh, the very last question of the interview, I asked if he was still jogging in Nebraska red, and he said no. 
Uh, and then Mike and I stayed on the on the on the chat with him for another 30 minutes after. And he, he told 30 some minutes story, uh, at least. Yeah, he told some stories that he didn't want on air that that were really telling uh, about about Coach Frost and his time in Nebraska there. Uh, and I think there's still some some hurt feelings. And I think I I understand better now why he didn't want to answer that, because I think a lot of that's still raw for him. And, and he didn't really necessarily want to opine on it uh, very publicly. But he he's definitely still has some some feelings about that situation and how, how it ended in Nebraska. Suns Plus membership, maybe. This one would have. Ooh, man, this one would have. I, we would have been. Yeah, I mean. I'd have bought you a, a toupee or something, Trace. This would have been, this would have been a very good. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking out loud. Skinny jeans, something. This one would have gotten some For the good. hair. It's time to go back to Monster the Barber and, and get a little work there. Yeah, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, before we get to Clay's corner, you know, back when I thought we had no real lead, I thought we'd get into some discussion on the offensive line. Uh, polled about that. I went back to standard grade. By the way, last week on the running backs. I didn't see any reason to put a C, a D, or an F. So it was A plus, A, A minus. Because sometimes when I put A, B, C, well, you should have had an A plus. Then I do that, and uh, you guys uh, don't hold back on criticizing. But grade the offensive line, 65% uh, said B. You see, I don't know about that. I, I would have gone A. I think considering the number of players that played and the changes at center, I, I thought the line held pretty well. This is so tough, Trace, because I think – and this is not criticism on the line, but John Rice Plumley makes up for a lot of sins when he's back there, right? Well, Timmy so did Mackenzie Milton, right? Exactly. In his time. Timmy was a different quarterback, though, and you saw some different things happen when Timmy was in. So I think there's probably a little bit of a, of a mix between those two because, while again, I'm not criticizing the line, JRP can get a, a lineman out of a sack that you go, oh, look at that great run, and you forget that that great run happened because there was pressure. So I think, you know, when the best highlight of the season is Timmy McClain running 72 yards back to throw for a first down and fourth and 26, eh, I can see why people think that. You think that's the highlight play of the year? I don't, but it's on like every RJ Harvey's like RJ Harvey run. Yes. Yeah. I think the RJ Harvey run or the Javon Baker uh, blow the kiss touchdown are probably the two plays that I would say are the are the play of the year. But I think in college football and all these top ten lists, I think that was the most interesting play. But to me, I, I think it's either RJ or, or Javon. Let's go back to uh, the twenty three season a little bit more. You know, Knights three and O. Oh. A lot of excitement heading to Kansas State. Hey, it sounds like basketball. Doing well going on the road at Kansas State. And the Knights got punched in the nose on that one. You know, the score was 44-31, but that was not as close uh, as the score indicated. Let's, uh, let's hear a little recap from Clay. Ever have trouble remembering the games? You know, it's been a long season. Can't really blame you if you do. Do you not have three hours to devote to go watch the entire game? I'm going to summarize UCF's entire game in about one and a half to two minutes. Let's get started. Week four, UCF versus Kansas State. Kansas State starts with the ball, drives down the field, and running back TJ Giddens gets into the end zone for the Wildcats. Johnny Richardson gets the ball and goes for a large gain into the Wildcat red zone. However, we end up settling for three. Corey Thornton then picks off Will Howard to give us the ball back. We drive down the field, and on third and 16, RJ Harvey manages to catch the ball and take it to the house to go up 10-7 towards the end of the first quarter. Looking to be on his villain arc, DJ Giddens finds his way into the end zone yet again to put up the Wildcats 14-10. Timmy gets the ball and decides to play Thanksgiving backyard ball for a little bit. Looks like me out there. We give the ball back to Kansas State and they score yet again, going up to 21. UCF puts up another 7 and go into the half. Coming out at halftime, Timmy McLean drops an absolute dime to Kobe Hudson. Kansas State gets the ball back, gets into our red zone, but a huge stop makes the Wildcats settle for 3. RJ Harvey was just a little short, so we had to give it back to the Wildcats. 
Will Howard, quarterback, keeps in the end zone for another Kansas State touchdown. Even after a huge pass interference penalty on the Wildcats, UCF just can't seem to tie the game up and ends up missing the mark. Kansas State runs the score up just a little bit more. Again, thank you guys so much for having me, and go Knights, charge on. Fair. Ah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Clay, that's good stuff there. We are glad to have you as part of the Suns team. Hey, it's that time again. It's that time again. Time to open the Brian W. Peterson Sons of UCF mailbag. <laughs> Did he show up as a palm frond off the top of last week's show? Is that what happened there? I think that's what happened. Yeah, it's all a blur, Trace. It's all yeah. a blur. At uh, Capped Vige 1, is Coach Verdusco like a mad scientist or something? He seems really out there, right? I mean, his interview seemed a little off, right? But he knows a thing or two about quarterbacks, right? I actually feel bad. In that clip I played, I was still answering him, even though he wasn't asking questions. It just, <laughs> it just became second. Day. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Because I feel like he needed that affirmation. But really a smart guy, man. Like, he's got a lot of interesting theories. Uh, I think, and you can't, you can't argue results. I mean, maybe in Nebraska, you can argue results, but you can't argue results at UCF. So it was good to have him. We should have him on as an analyst, but as you said to me, uh, you'd have to have a segment be 40 minutes. <laughs> I think we could have him in a 10 minute segment. Yeah. Uh, Zeebles UCF, uh, awesome interview with coach Verdusco. He gave the four categories he used to somewhat objectively judge a quarterback. What categories should we use to judge head coaches? How does Gus do on our categories? All right, I got on-field performance, recruiting, fundraising, and staffing. I think those are the the big four for a head coach. Uh, and how do you grade those? I mean, on-field, a, a B, B minus. I mean, we, we've you know we haven't necessarily you know made a, a huge mark. I think recruiting, I go A minus. Fundraising, I mean, it feels like we're getting a bunch of guys, we're paying a bunch of coaches, but you hear a bunch of stuff about that, so I'll go B. And staffing, I mean, again, he's put it together a good staff, so I'll go I'll go B plus on that. There you go. At Mr. Matt Dolan talking about the 2023-2024 Big 12 schedule coming out uh, next week. He wants UCF Iowa State November 29, 30. And I don't know why. We talked about this on Around the Kingdom. I don't want that to be a cold weather game at all. What do the Suns hope for the 24 football schedule coming out next week? Uh, no cold weather games in November. Doesn't matter to me. Elo floated about Colorado being late in the season. Maybe After that, they unraveled. Yeah, that Black Friday weekend that could be interesting. That could be an interesting game. I'd I, I'd be curious to see where they where they slot that one. At D Falk underscore twenty three. What was his name? The power to ch- <laughs> D Falk okay. twenty three. You had the power to change sports scheduling for all sports. Would you keep it the same with non conference games starting the year, or would you have conference play be the whole year, mixing in non conference games along the way instead of them all being at the start? I, I do think you need those non conference games to get you ready for league play uh so uh, i think it's fine i don't like the way the sec buries the cupcake games towards the end of the season so i don't like that i'm fine with in basketball at least the way the non-conference schedule has looked and then these you know these conference games are exciting each game honestly i wouldn't care either way i mean i I, i'm used to it the way it is now but if you told me in between playing kansas and texas we had a cupcake against fiu to get right and work some kinks out. I wouldn't be mad at that either, but I don't, I don't have enough of an objection to say we've, we've got to make a change. So I'm good with the way it is, but I'd also be fine if we change. At Laird WD2, what's the story with Ted Roof at his last gig? He was let go from his last gig. Yeah, Coach I think Venables there's... was not happy with his 
defensive performance. I think what's most interesting, and I hadn't realized it when you said he's been he's on his 14th job since 2009. I'm like, yeah, I knew he had changed. It was one, two years, but I didn't realize how many jobs the guy had had. I'm a stickler for accuracy. That's 10th job yeah. since 2009. Yeah. And look, I, I think exaggerate. he he's a D coordinator. He went to play or coach for Brent Venables, who was a D coordinator at Clemson. I assume he has a system he wants to run. Perhaps there were just some philosophical differences between the way they want to run defense. And look, every coach needs a scapegoat. Obviously, offensively, uh, Oklahoma put up points, but defense was always their bugaboo. So everybody needs a scapegoat. And I think Brent Venables can point to that and say, ah, that's a problem right there. But now Texas or Oklahoma rather is breaking in two new coordinators. So we'll see how that works out. And we will raise the roof, Trace. That, uh, the roof is on fire. At UCF Mike won. You know him. He's back, back on. He's back, back on Twitter, firing off questions. Since you were just in New York, which is why I was not a part of this illustrious program last week. Compare and contrast the Big Twelve cities you visited this past season: Lubbock, Manhattan, Lawrence, restaurants, culture, entertainment. This is apples to oranges. These are different things. I'm not going to be an elitist like UCF Mike and look down whoa, upon these great whoa. college towns. Whoa. Let me tell you what: these 48 hours in Manhattan. Great breweries, great people, hanging out with uh, uh, friends and taking in the action, win or lose. It is what it is. You cannot compare it to New York City, and we're not playing up at Rutgers, Mike. So uh, the Manhattan we're going to be at is at Kansas City. Let me me tie you down here. I need a ranking between these three. Lubbock, Manhattan, Lawrence. Rank them uh, one to three. Uh, Cities? Yes. As you visit. Uh, Manhattan was the most fun. Manhattan was the most fun. Um, can I tie the other two? I don't see a big discernible I you difference. Didn't. I mean, Lubbock had the Buddy Holly Museum and the Prairie Dogs, so maybe. Nah, sounds maybe like Lubbock. that's two. Yeah, sounds like we got two there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at UCF underscore Jeb Shred, what's the best seating section in the bounce house? He uh, he wants to know where you're sitting and why. That's really open to interpretation. Like I, I I love the cabana. I'm I'm somebody I like to stand during games, and I know uh, people freak out every time they see someone standing not sitting. Uh, the cabana gives you some standing opportunities, so I, I don't I don't mind the view from up top there. I think it's a good view. There's a nice breeze up there during games, but it's all as long as you're in the stadium, Jeb, and you're cheering and you're wearing you know whatever ridiculous color they have us wearing that game. I'm all in on that, so I don't think you can really lose based on where you sit at. Forty-five thousand seat stadium. There's there's no bad seats. Uh, maybe avoid the sun on those high noon kickoffs. That Riley Carey sixteen. Do you accept Texas's uh, head coach's apology? No, not really. No, that guy's a clown. And if I was Texas, this is his last season as head coach. He's brought he's brought disdain on my program. He's made us a laughing stock more so than we usually are. Yeah, we won a couple games. Blah 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 blah. But th- this this guy's not our. He's not a Texas man. If I'm Texas, this guy's gone at the end of the year. Clown. Another one. And did he, it Lawrence. didn't sound like he called Johnny Dawkins either, by the way. I don't love this. You said it around the kingdom. If I offended you, I apologize. That's not an apology. Yeah, that's, that's not an apology. That's not an apology. Apologies. Hey, I said something stupid and I'm sorry for that. Hey, I cursed at some some student athletes and I shouldn't have done that. My bad. If you were offended, then I apologize. I don't need that apology. Yeah. You can just leave that one alone. Yeah, and, and I know Mike, I think it was Mike saying he wanted to see a little more fire from uh, Coach Dawkins. That was me. No, that was me. I wanted oh, Johnny Dawkins to get to the podium, and 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 I, I know Johnny's too classy to, to take a direct shot at him, but throw some low-key shade around. You know what? I, I back my program. I back my players. We're nothing but first class, and I appreciate Rodney Terry's you know input in the situation, but I'm going to coach my team the way. Like, say something that at least lets your guys know, hey – I got your back. And I'm sure he did in the locker room, but I think that was a good opportunity for Johnny to take a little bit of a shade shot at, at Rodney Terry. But of course, Johnny's better person than I am, which is not surprising by the way. 
uh, Michael, emptiness four, is the basketball team suffering from the Citronaut Saturdays? He's talking about their inability to uh, win games on Saturday. I guess we're going to find out if they uh, if they rebound there on uh, the game on Saturday at Cincinnati. But uh, he may be onto something here. Have we we haven't worn the knots gear yet for basketball? Yes. No. No. Uh, well, I, I need just... I need to see that happen because that baseball curse was real. I don't care what you say. Yeah. Uh, at Dare Zim is men's basketball team NIT NIT. NCAA bound. What do you think it's going to take? They're three and yeah. three. Yeah. They're twelve and um, what are they? Twelve and six. Yep. Um, three more won't do it. No. Four. Four, four five. To five. Four to five. And, and six, and six does it. Nine and nine because of the net. Yeah. Six. Six is a guarantee. Four to five, depending on who you beat. Right. If we can take down a Baylor team, that's obviously uh, well-ranked. If we can take down an Oklahoma team, I think it's who you beat as well. So I think you're still – I mean, if, if I saw the the latest Joe Lenardi, um, UCF was still kind of outside looking in. Um, so you need a couple They're gonna of – They're going to need some quality uh, wins. You need a couple of quality quad one situations. I think NIT year one, I wouldn't be mad at it. I know everyone laughs at the NIT. I wouldn't Is be mad four? at that. Is that four more? It's four to five. Again, it depends who you, who you beat. For NIT. NIT. Yeah, I think it's four to five. I think NCAA is five to six. Mm. At Golden Knight underscore the second. Tough one here. What sport do you have no interest in watching but has a big following, UCF and non-UCF? I'll start with non-UCF. I, I don't have a lot of interest in anything uh, NASCAR related. Yeah, that's, that's, a, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, NASCAR is probably up there for me. Um, I don't really love hockey. I don't know if that's a big following, but I'm not a hockey. I know my I mean, it's, every... it's probably the fourth biggest sport. Soccer would like a word? Mm, it can have a word, but uh, still looking <laughs> up at the NHL. <laughs> uh, um, hockey, hockey UCF. Coming? That's a, oh, oh. that's a, I, I will say I, I root for every UCF team to win. Yes. They're just things that I, I don't have time to go to and yes. I don't have a lot of interest in. So I, I, I cheer them all on, but uh, you're not going to find me at tennis. You're not going to find me at golf. I don't know if you can watch rowing. Um, not very interested in women's basketball as a sport. So uh, there's only so much time. Can't make any make everything. And and those are some things that uh, I just don't have time for. See, here's I I like tennis. If tennis is on and UCF, I will actually watch that. Golf, college golf is tough. Like I, I need I need like pro golf to to be in there. So golf is probably there. I'd actually probably watch rowing. Some of those uh, you know competitions where they got the lane lines and who's winning. Women's basketball, that's probably my answer, Trace. Ugh. Mm. I feel bad. Yeah. Where's JP Gilbert, by the way? Is, is he got a hot seat on for Coach He is. Uh, he's searching for um, uh, healthcare facilities in Arkansas right now. Yes, yes, I'm sure he is. <laughs> uh, this news <laughs> from Brandon Elwig that Gus Smelson has been calling the plays. And, and finally, uh, at the Dr. Drew, Sons of UCF is a Fortune 100 company, yeah. CEO U. COO me, former executive in jail for something, <laughs> Mike. Mike there. Yeah, and then uh, I, I, I did not do the research necessarily. Oh, I'm ready. For, for, uh, I thought ready. you might. Uh, Brian Peterson, where do, where does he fit of in? Of course, uh, chief financial officer, uh, count to the stars, Brian Peterson, CFO. Yeah. Uh, Eric Lopez. Uh, Eric Lopez, I have chief of staff. Chief of staff. Yeah, he's he's got his hands in everything. He's involved in a little bit of everything. He knows a lot about everything. He's got he purview a over a lot of different areas. Uh, he's chief of staff. Jeff Allen, communications director. <laughs> uh, 
Whatever video is on the wall, welcome. To the Communications director, yeah, yep. yeah. PR releases, uh, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh, Miles. Uh, he's a bureau chief. I don't know what that means. I've always thought that was cool when you were on the news and they're like, we're going to go to our bureau chief. I don't know what that means. I think Miles is a, is a, is a tailor-made bureau chief. You know, I had a previous title as a bureau chief when I worked in television. I'm not surprised. Three-county bureau. bureau. Uh, what does that mean? What is a, what was a bureau chief? What does that rank on the hierarchy? I don't know. Uh, I covered a three-county area. I had my own office. was uh, situated in my area. So. And that area and uh, uh, outside Huntsville was called Sand Mountain, so I was the Sand Mountain bureau chief. Are, were you? Are you better, or were you higher than an investigative reporter? I ended up doing that too. I think they're just different. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think there's a hierarchy there. Okay, actually, Matt Donner uh, with a great with a great answer, the chief of security for Miles. That's a big guy. That's a good no, point. I, I'm with I'm with him on That's that. That's a good point. Uh, That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, who else you got? You got one for Andrew? Did you do? Well, I got Andrew Cherico. He's our lead reporter. He's lead reporter. He's lead lead man on the scene, senior writer, whatever you want to call him. There's one missing though. Dolly Drama is missing here. He's chief content officer. Dolly's the oh, CEO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chief content officer is Dolly Drama. That would be the uh, the son's masthead right there. Yeah. Anything for Clay? You got anything for Clay? Intern. <laughs> Intern. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, we had a, this was a good good show. Some, uh, some breaking news in the afternoon to react to. Uh, it was good being back with you. Uh, I thank you for the generous uh, PTO policy with the Sons of UCF. <laughs> this unlimited PTO is really coming back to bite us. I'm not going to lie to you. At the TV station I worked in in Gainesville, we had uh, during ratings periods, if you were out at all, you had to have a doctor's note. But during non-ratings periods, you could call out sick at any time mm. and you didn't need a doctor's note. So there was a lot of people taking I expect unlimited Dr. PTO. I suspect Dr. McGillicuddy's note is coming my way soon, Tracy. <laughs> All right. It has been a fun one. I want to thank our guests, uh, Ben, of course, and Justin from Viva La Cats, and uh, all of you for being with us. For Adam, I'm Trace Trolko. Thanks for watching Sons of UCF. Go Knights. Charge on. John. And now let's end with our friends, uh, George and his mom, Mary, who are big fans of Sons of UCF. Hi, I'm George. And I'm George's mom. Thank you for watching Sons of UCF. Go Knights! And charge on. Charge on. Very nicely. You gotta get some palm fronds behind you. I was gonna say, that was a nice palm frond. I don't know if that was. I need to... Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.